chatter, 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 cluck, cluck, cluck. The voice in my head, blah, blah, blah. She is feeling unsettled and anxious. She wants to tear everything down. Burn it to the ground. Burn the witch. Burn, burn, burn. She thinks of an exit strategy. She thinks of a way to escape, reasons to run unscathed. I find nothing but discomfort in comfort. And I can only pill pop, consume, consume, consume for so long. Eventually she catches onto my parlor tricks and she rages and she screams and punching and kicking and wailing, wailing, wailing. She cannot be ignored. She swears she will haunt me. There is no I without she and she without me. I pray for her to find the fear that settles her, that settles me. But when I, it finds her, she wages war against it, only allowing me to find solace and fear long enough to remember what solace is, what it feels like, what it tastes like. She screams for the sun and I pray for the moon, for sleep, for the walking dead. She reminds me that consciousness is her name and I turn away. She laughs knowing that which I have yet to accept. She sees that which I deny, and she reminds me that you cannot deny something without acknowledging it first. She laughs and laughs and laughs. In some moment, I confuse her laughter for my tears, for my pain, and I curl up and cry all the while she howls at the moonlight and dances with the sun. The tides collide over and over, and I am awake. There is no more sleep to be had. I'm an insane sexual shadow witch and my name is Lacey Free and I'm the fucking host of Horrorpod. Are you a destroyer at all? Um, I would like to think of myself as one. As a destroyer? I love that. Usually when I ask people, they're like, well, I'm not a destroyer. They preface it. So many people preface their energy of, well, I don't think the system should exist as is, but I'm not a destroyer. So oh. I love hearing a feminine being be like, I would like to think of myself as a destroyer. How are you a destroyer? What does that look like for you? I think destruction is beautiful. I think it's incredible. And I think it's part of the, the spiral of existence. So when I think of myself as a destroyer, I simultaneously think of myself as a creator. Because there's not, in my mind, there's not room for new creations without destruction. Um, and even destruction is creation in its own way. 
So I like to think that in some ways I destroy a part of myself every day and kind of therefore part of the paradigm that we're all living in. Yeah. I feel like even when we manifest, whenever we give birth to something, something in us has to die first. And I like the part of your poem where you talk about that she will haunt you. If you don't pay attention to her, she's sort of going to track you down and haunt you. But she is you. Yeah. And I feel that so much. And sometimes when we put up energetic protection, our energetic protection can become cement cement walls really fast. And I've put up a lot of energetic protection, but I've been realizing lately that this protection is also turning into sort of my own prison bars, even though I'm over here claiming to be free and that I am free. And I've been ruminating on that a bit. And in the last month or so, Marcella Kroll, I told her, I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this work. And I think I've told you that too. Yeah. (laughs) And Marcella was like, let me do a quick reading for you. And the first thing that came up for her was the witch wound. And she was like, I think you put up some sort of spiritual protection, but in that created these ginormous walls because you've been killed speaking your truth before. You've been killed by doing your magic before. Do you resonate with the witch wound at all? I do very, very much so. Um, If you'd asked me this question a few years ago, I don't know that I would have necessarily wouldn't have resonated with me, but like, in the past few years doing things like making medicine, like as I make medicine, I can feel my ancestors healing. Um, and that, I mean, you know, they, the witch wound is about, it's not really about being a, or whatever the societally accepted definition of a witch is, it's being a healer and so a woman, somebody with an opinion um, a midwife, so many other things. Um, and it was just like, I remember the first time I was like making medicine at home alone, just the realization that, that my ancestors had been murdered for making this medicine. And that, like the fact that I could sit in my home now peacefully doing it was kind of a revelation and a revolution. And just like feeling that, like feeling them looking down and being like, they like the it's like they you can't kill an energy you can't kill an idea you can't kill you can burn the people at the time that are doing the thing you don't like but there are things that are stronger and more important than the physical realm yeah energy can't be created or destroyed yeah and you And you can feel that so much with medicine making. When you say medicine making, what does that look like for you? Um, For me, it means just working with herbs and making, you know, uh, a fire cider, which for people who don't know is like good for colds and flu season. And it's like horseradish and garlic and it's all in apple cider vinegar with rosemary and other herbs, antivirals, or it's 
like a sage honey to put in tea. It's just working with herbs and different, you know, glycerins, vodkas, delivery mechanisms, even tea, even making a fucking tea. It's like, it's medicine making. making. That's what I love so much about herbs is there's this beautiful complexity within herbal medicine, but also a sweet simplicity that you can make profound herbal remedies just by mixing two herbs and putting hot water over it and letting it steep. And that tea, and really it's not a tea, it's an herbal infusion. Yeah, Tea tea comes from one plant, the Camellia sinensis plant. And then that tea is divided up into three different portions. You can use, like if you use the leaf of Camellia sinensis, that's green tea. And how you steep that tea, you can make it into black tea or white tea. So there's only three real teas in the world. I didn't know that. Yeah, white, green, and black. I know that because I used to be a tour guide for Celestial Seasonings Tea Factory (laughs) on Sleepy Time Lane in Boulder, Colorado. Amazing. (laughs) Yes, I loved it, but I caused quite a stir at this tea factory. Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) I, I couldn't believe it. I was just so excited to have a job in college where it was to... I was sort of the center of attention at the tour and got to tell stories about the different herbs they used. And I started really livening up the tour. And there was all this ruckus about me because people started requesting me on this tour. And they had never really gotten requests before. And this was like 11 or so years ago. And... They had never really gotten requests before and Yelp reviews and internet reviews just started to become a huge thing. And I was getting all these like amazing reviews and I would dress in wild costumes and I really took (laughs) the free tea tour to the next level. So the other tour guides, which were actually women for the most part, started saying that they thought I was being inappropriate on tour. And soliciting myself to, like, men. What? And and that's why my uh, tea tours were going, like, that's why I had, like, more tea cells, even though it was a free tour. And the corporation, I don't even know if I'm legally supposed to talk about this, because legally the corporation of celestial seasonings had to get involved. And... First. I'm making a oh my god face right now. I know we're on a podcast so people can't see my face, but it's I'm a gog. So the the lady who was in charge of the tea tours told me I could no longer wear costumes, even though my costumes were just like silly tights and like sleepy time bear stuff. It was very like kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. Not so much strip club version of Lacey. And she told me I had to stop doing costumes, that I wasn't allowed to socialize while I was there, that I needed to come in through kind of like a different entrance to the tea factory. And they started like, and I like loved all the other tour guides before this, but it was just one tour guide who said she saw me soliciting myself. And I don't even know what they meant by that. 
And I was so devastated because I had been so excited at this job and it worked so well with going to school and I could support myself. And they were all like, Lacey's a whore. (laughs) (laughs) And I um, couldn't pick myself up off my floor for like weeks and months because I was like, something is definitely wrong with me. Every time I enter a new space, it felt like I would become the center of attention even if I didn't want to. And in that job, it was they wanted to hire people who were outspoken, who had a background in theater, you know? Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, when I was gaining attention for it, I was automatically classified as a whore. And that's been like a theme throughout my life. And there's a lot about me that's very prudish. But that's where the messages of like, I really have to be small in the world because if I'm big and colorful, punishment comes with that. So mm-hmm. even in being the tour guide there, I felt like it sparked my witch wound because part of the witch is sort of being in the middle, in the fire. And I I like couldn't function. I was so devastated about this. And then finally corporate came in and they pulled the girl aside who reported me and they pulled me aside and they were like, so did you actually see Lacey solicit herself? And then at the end of the whole hoopla, the girl said, no, Lacey didn't actually do anything. She's been really nice to me, but people fucked on me a lot in high school And Lacey reminds me of them. And I was really angry. Yeah. And it worked. But but when she was so honest, I couldn't – I wasn't mad at her at all. Like I could hear her feminine experience too. And she didn't have a lot of friends at the the tea factory. And it was very cliquish. And I just think about how – Feminine people have had the witch wound internally, and then we've tore down other witches within our own witch wound. Does that make sense? Because let me tell you, this girl was also a (laughs) fucking weirdo witch. She was just like a less socially acceptable witch than me because she would even bring voodoo dolls in and talk about spells with her dolls. And there's probably a lot we had in common and we were probably a reflection for each other in ways. But there's just this aching witch wound that I think makes us hurt each other. I think just in general, traumatized people traumatize other people, right? Um, and I think that the thing that was coming to mind to me when you were telling that story, it was, oh, you were your, you were like a very unconsciously, or it's not self-conscious, it's not unconscious, but you were not, you were a not self-conscious person being your authentic self. Oh yeah. And we don't when we don't give ourselves permission to be our authentic selves, we don't like it when other people give themselves permission to be authentic because it's like, well, why the fuck does she get to be herself and I don't? Oh yeah. I've gotten in trouble for that quite a bit in my day. Do you feel like you're able to be yourself in your world? I I 
think of it as less like the thing that hinders me from being myself is often me um and i think that i've been on a journey for a long time now to answer the question what is my authentic self or who is my authentic self and to give myself permission to be that yeah yeah will you tell us a little bit about who you are and how i know you and kind of what your realm looks like well i mean i feel like who i am is a wild question (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell the world how I met you or just kind of how I know you. I know you because you've, you're Jess's manager officially, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're just a like entertainment manager. Yes. Um, You don't manage Jess's day-to-day life. No, I don't know if anybody could manage Jen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're also her friend probably her friend above anything else yeah Uh, because you haven't actually like got work for her have you not really we started working together like a month before the pandemic yeah and then she got Lyme and it was like (laughs) gotta rest girl there's no work to do totally yeah I've known her longer but yeah so you're like a Hollywood LA entertainment manager by day yeah slash witchy healer herbalist (laughs) poet by night yeah and I met you through Jessa but I wasn't actually physically with her when I physically met you I was in New Mexico and you you had said bye LA during the pandemic and started van lifing it with your partner yeah. and came through New Mexico. And as soon as I saw you, I couldn't shut up. And I was so excited about your energy and talking herbs with you and connecting with you on that level. And I just loved that you guys, we were kind of one of your first stops on yeah. your van life tour. And then you did van life and got pregnant, right? Yeah. I'm actively pregnant. (laughs) And actively pregnant. And you told me about the witch event I went to this last summer. Yes. And I really wanted you to be there, but I ended up just going by myself because you didn't come this time. And now you're back in LA doing some more entertainment management slash being a witch. Yeah, I mean, my, like, day job, my, like, the human form and day job I function is, like, yeah, entertainment manager, producer, shit like that. And then there's all the other parts of my being. Yeah. What are – I like to ask this to everyone, but what are your sort of thoughts on what's happening in the world right now? Like, how would you sum up this apocalyptic experience on an energetic level? I think that we're in like decomposition time. I don't know. I would love to hear your thoughts too, but I think that like, I think that we're in decomposition time. The old paradigm is decomposing and becoming mush. And also at the same time, there's a new world being born. Um, And I think it's messy and unsettling. And I think it's probably been going on for a long time. And I don't know how much longer it will go on. Right. Because time is so, 
what the fuck is time? But to me, that's what I, I'm like, oh, the old ways, the old world are dying, which is part of why they're so loud and violent and raging because they're fighting for their lives or what they think are their lives or what they think is their identity. Yeah. Um, I mean like the matrix or the masculine structures or yeah, it's hard to know even what to call it. Just like the old world structures. Yeah. The old world structures. I think that like, and even, and then it's, it's not to, I don't know if there is a thought of this, but I'm not even thinking of it as like, Democrat or Republican or left or right or any of that stuff, just like old world structures raging for, or just, I see the fear and the rage as like desperation for solid ground. Oh, yeah. That is, no, it doesn't, it's never existed, but we had the illusion of existence. Um, and they feel it like slipping out from under their feet. And it's like a I, I don't know if this makes sense but there is this like clawing for it out of desperation and but then also there's like the new world where it's like there's there has no there has been no ground there's the people who are like we've never had ground it's all been an illusion and that's i think that you see that starting to blossom too yeah yeah, that clawing energy, you said something profound there to me. You said the clawing and the fear and the rage is sort of symbolism for desperation yeah. of the solid ground. And I think that even in when that fear and rage shows up in relationship, I think oftentimes that fear and rage is our inner child like desperately pleading for security. Or solid ground. And I think I've been doing so much inner child work since the pandemic hit in myself and with others. And I think our inner childs are like raising to the surface because we're seeing that that solid ground is not what we thought it was. So, so many's inner childs are like taking the wheel, asking for security. I think that's totally, totally true. And I think that like the status quo for so long, you could numb the inner child, right? Like I, I just feel, I was thinking about it this morning when I was walking. I think if you walk around and view humans instead of being like, oh, that's, that's a rich man or that's a, a houseless person or that's a supermarket whatever if you're just like if you look around and be like oh i'm surrounded by the walking wounded yeah the walking wounded it really shifts the paradigm at which you're looking through people and like i i see so much of myself in others and also in others is like all of these these like identity constructs that we've created for ourselves are coping mechanisms yeah um and I think the status, like the status quo is breaking down, which is destroying our coping me- mechanisms, which is what, like to what you're saying, like allowing those wounded children who have been basically like put to sleep with fucking mother's milk <laughs> are waking <laughs> the fuck up and freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And even beyond being the walking wounded, I 
I can't look at a person anymore and just see the timeline they're currently on. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and I think a lot of us are seeing this, is we see their inner child, even the playful, sweet part of their inner child and the frantic tantrum part of their inner child. It feels to me like in the matrix that the old world that we were all living in, a lot of us had costumes on how to survive in the matrix. And as the matrix is dying and breaking down, these costumes are being unzipped. And whatever our soul essence is, whatever our inner child's soul essence is, it's like our inner child, our soul essence, and our higher self. That's the new that's the new meat suit we're wearing. And the old costume is being destroyed whether we want it to or not. Because for some people, that costume, they were very successful in the Matrix. They learned how to cope in the Matrix. Some people really enjoyed the Matrix. And some people absolutely didn't. But I think we're just really seeing people live their truth now. I think that our inter- our early integration and assimilation into the Matrix, we are we forget who we are. Right. Yeah. So I think I've, I've noticed a lot of people that I've been working with, not in like Hollywood capacity in like other capacities, there's a lost feeling because they know they can feel, they can feel that there's a spark somewhere, a spark of their authentic selves, a spark of their higher self and soul selves, but they don't they don't know what it is or what it looks like or how it takes shape or form. So I, I'm seeing a lot of people and myself included have again, been on this journey of like, what the fuck does my authentic self even look like? Like, I know, like, it's funny when you said who you are, if you had asked me that question five years ago, I've been like, oh, well, I'm Samantha Safer, and I was born in Los Angeles, and I work in the entertainment business, and my partner is this person, and I have two dogs. What, what, what else is there, right? But you now you say, who are you? And I'm just like, I don't know, like a fucking celestial being right <laughs> right now. I'm a portal for a, a foreign exchange student from outer space who's going to come out <laughs> between my fucking legs, and I'm going to have to teach him how to be human. Like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're pregnant at such a wild fucking time. Yeah. And I live with my friend Rosie right now. I'm staying with my friend Rosie and she's a midwife. And she talks about how they're the new babies hitting the planet right now are bringing in a total new species that they are not just fully human. And it feels to me like the people who are pregnant right now are very specifically chosen. I think mothers are always chosen. Parents are always chosen. But it seems like such a galactic soul contract to be to be giving birth during the apocalypse to a new species. And it feels like beautiful, high vibrating energy for me, but also only the the warriors can do it. In my opinion, only the galactic warriors can give birth at this time. It is wild. My partner and I have never wanted a child. 
we were like, eh, I don't know. Like, there's no water in parts of California. Like, what, what, what are, what are we bringing a child into? Like, we have disposable income. Why would we ruin our lives? Um, and then we both turned four. <laughs> and then we both turned forty, and we were like, okay, we want this to be. We want to be a conscious choice. We don't want to just be like, nah, we don't want a kid. We don't want a kid, and then. 20 years from now be like we didn't really make a choice we just kicked the can down the road until a choice was made for us yeah um and neither of us could say for sure that we didn't want a kid so we were like you know what jesus take the wheel god us take the wheel if it's supposed to happen it'll happen and if not like that is okay we're not going to do any ivf there's not that there is anything wrong with doing any ivf or anything like that it was just not a choice we were going to make and three weeks later, I was pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it's funny. I don't feel uh, so excited. And I excitement is not the feeling that I think is the most predominant one. I think that, and I, I think you and I maybe talked about this already. I think like a really important stage for pregnant women that is not talked about enough in society is the grieving period when you get pregnant completely um and like for three months i was really in mourning for the life that i was leaving behind yeah not because i was sad about my new one but because i think grief is such an important stage in transition right like when you, if you love high school, you're sad when you leave high school, but you're also excited to go to college, right? There's room for both. Yeah. So I spent like a lot of month in grief for the first, or the love time in grief for the first three months. And now I feel like, I, I feel very neutral and sure, if that makes sense. Like I'm not elated. I'm just like, this is supposed to be happening. And I'm very sure of that. And I also don't feel any ownership over the child, which I don't know if that's normal or if I just thought that that was normal because my parents felt ownership over me. But it, I really do, really the best way to describe it is I feel like a portal for a foreign exchange student from outer space and they're going to get here and I'm going to be like, let me show you how to function on this planet. Yeah. And I think that also has something to do with it being part of this energy of a totally new species mm. is that they are their own energy fully. Um, it just so happens that the majority of awesome, strong women around me are pregnant right now. And I get, I'm like, oh, I guess that makes sense that the, the wild witches of the world are bringing in the new species. Yeah. But I was sitting with my other friend who's pregnant and she was talking about how this being within her is creating all of these new boundaries that she would never create. Yes. yes. And That's she, so real. Yeah. And she's been pregnant before and she did not experience this in her first pregnancy. And this this being inside of her is like, you know, you're not going to have a relationship with this person anymore. 
no, you're not going to actually like coexist in this space the way you did. And it's almost scaring the pregnant person because she's like, oh my God, I don't want to burn bridges or hurt people's feelings. But this baby seems so firm in their boundaries. And this baby is kind of like, no, for my own fucking survival, you actually are going to burn these bridges right now. Oh, I, it's, that's so interesting that you say that because that is like so hard what's happening with me and this kid right now. Like, I don't have a relationship with part of my family right now. Um, and I've always talked to my family, but they were not good with boundaries. And it wasn't, it wasn't emotional or dramatic. It was just like, this is a no. Period. It's a no fucking period. And it doesn't even feel like burning bridges to me. It feels like I'm walking away from the bridge. You can do whatever the fuck you want with it. If you want to burn the bridge because you're so emotional, that's not about me. Godspeed. Like, it just feels like it's a no. Yeah. I think one thing we couldn't do in the old world very easily is have our no's. No wasn't a complete sentence in the old world for a lot of people. I think that's a thousand percent true. Yeah. And I think the new species coming in, they they know their no and they're going to teach it to whoever is the portal. And my friend, she's she's feeling like she has to cut a person out of her life. And uh, because of this pregnancy and she was like, well, I don't even have space to listen to what they're going through emotionally after I cut them out. And I'm like, I don't think it's your responsibility. It feels like, feels like if the baby's telling you no, you just have to listen to that. And it's almost like you can't pick up the pieces for the baby's boundaries. Yeah, and I think also like, I don't know, there have been so many lessons about the word no for me. Like, I think I used to think of the word no as like a rejection. Um. Yeah. And I think in a weird way, that is a, I don't, I would never have thought of it this way at the time, but I think that is a way of uh, putting myself in sort of vertical power dynamic with that person, right? Like, who am I to reject anybody? Yeah. Like there were like, oh, I'm going to hurt their feelings. Oh, it's a rejection. Oh, what if they're going to be mad at me? Oh, whatever. And none of that feels like my problem anymore. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not. And for me personally, rejection has been like fucking yucky and painful. And although I think I'm a very free spirited person and definitely nomadic energy and an artist, there is something in me that claws outwardly to to be accepted. Um, I can't remember what you and I were talking about a few months ago, but it sounds like you said to me, you were like, Lacey, it kind of sounds like you're afraid that you're not going to matter. Yeah. Like like that your art doesn't ma- – and I'm like, well, it's my art. And you're like, yeah, you're afraid your art's not going to matter because you're afraid you're not going to matter. And it's like, oh, shit, like – that is the abandonment wound and probably connected to the witch wound. But it is this deep, deep fear of not mattering. 
Yeah. And also the thing that's interesting to me is why do we think that matter is something that we have to earn? Why don't we just assume that we are valuable because we are? Yeah. Because I've been told my whole life that I'm not. For sure. But I think that no matter how that was conveyed to you, I have the same, right? We all have that story and it's, it shows up in different variations for everyone. And why, to me, it's like, why have we been, I mean, I know why, I think I know why, what the answer is to this question, but like, why have we been taught that just existing doesn't make, make you matter? And why can't we all be important, right? Like, I, I, I hesitated for a second to be like, make you important. But then I was like, well, I don't want it to sound like, I yeah. think somebody's better than anybody else. It's like, but wait, why can't we all be important? Right. Right. And what is the root to all of us feeling like we don't matter? Because I think that is a collective wound. I personally think my initial off the cuff answer, so I might retract this later. <laughs> I think that if we thought we mattered, we there is nothing that we couldn't do. And I think that the thing that stops the collective from creating the world we want is thinking that we don't matter because if we individually think that we don't that we don't matter then collectively we all agree that we don't matter but as soon as i think i matter and you think you matter and the next person thinks they matter then collectively we all matter all of a sudden and we have power completely and not being like, oh, I, I Lacey matters. So that means Sam matters less. It's just, it's like, no, we both fucking matter. And I think that brings us to the, the holographic experience is that we are each other, which sounds so annoying. I get sick of people <laughs> being like, we are each other. It's like, no, bitch. I don't think you experienced the exact same thing I did or I. <laughs> well, I think, wait, let me, let me, I'm going to ask you a question. Is it that people saying that or is it the, when people say it as a platitude? Yeah, definitely as a platitude. Cause I say it all the time, but even I say it sometimes and I don't mean to do it as a platitude, but I had a witch friend going through something and I was like, well, honey, rejection's protection. So you're going to be fine. <laughs> And she's like, fuck you. <laughs> you know? Yes. So I'm like all about the darkness and the shadow, but sometimes I'm throwing out these platitudes too because there is a sense that things do happen for a reason. We are reflections of each other. We're controlling our reality. Simultaneously, we're having individual experiences in yeah. this. And our own emotions to it. And I'm not, I don't know if I believe that we create everything we want in this life or get what we want. I, I don't believe that. Yeah. What do you believe? I believe that. Well, actually, let's let's dive deeper into the question before I start to answer. No, I love it. I definitely it. don't think that we get what we want. I don't think we're here. I don't think we're actually here to get what we want. I don't think that's the point of being alive. Yeah. There's a lot of magic people who do, though. I would 
I shouldn't speak for my magic friends, but I would say Noah Lampert believes he's here to get what he wants. And I like love it. And he has amazing energy and he's out there imagining shit and then just fucking getting it. That bitch is on a yacht right now during the pandemic doing fine. I mean, I, lo- that- I love that for him. <laughs> I love it for him too. And it shows that um, it's possible that that timeline can exist. So the thing that's coming up for me, and I don't know Noah Lampert at all. So I don't, this is not a, this is not a, any sort of reflection of like in relation to that. I'm just thinking about myself. The biggest gifts in my life have been from the most uncomfortable situations and actually getting what I want hasn't been, it hasn't created growth. And it hasn't created expansion. Um, and it's like, there are times when I get what I want. And it's, I mean, I, I live a very, very, very privileged, very blessed life. And I am so grateful for it. And it is amazing. But like, I don't know that me just getting what I wanted for me personally, what I get, what I, getting what I want all the time is actually in my highest and best. It is the moments of discomfort that have forced me to grow that I've actually gotten the most satisfaction. Like, I get more satisfaction from coming out the other end of something with an, an expanded awareness of myself and the world, an expanded sense of compassion, a higher tolerance for discomfort than like the times where I've been like, you mean we get to go to Disneyland for free? Like it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's awesome, but it's not. It's it isn't life impacting for me. Yeah, I feel like sometimes my higher self and my lower self are battling each other, and um, like my lower self would love to uh, be on a beach somewhere right now with very little responsibility. Yes, my higher self is like, nah, bitch. You came here to be a part of the apocalypse. You're going to feel the apocalypse. You're going to feel the fire of the apocalypse. And (laughs) you're going to wake yourself up in it. And you're going to hold space as a healer for other people waking up in the apocalypse. Have fun. So I've not read that poem that I read at the beginning of this since I wrote it. Yeah. I haven't looked at that notebook. It's the only poem in there. I wrote it in 2016. But I think that whole poem is about the battle between my higher and lower self. Fucking completely. And I loved the poem for that. <laughs> like, it was like the, my lower self being like, let me fucking sleep. This sucks. And she was like, no, nah, that's not why we're here. Sorry. And it, the more you try to sleep, the more I will haunt you. Yeah. Um. You know the book The Alchemist? Of course, yes. So much. Rosie was just telling me the other night, she's like, I think you find, uh, Lacey, I think you still find too much comfort in the underworld because in the underworld you can hide. And that there have been times where I think I've identified, not that physical illness isn't real, it's very real, but I think a lot of physical illness, especially chronic illness, is very attached to our unhealed child self and our unhealed trauma. And I think there's something about fully integrating that and not being sick or not being in other aspects of the underworld, like poverty or hiding in the shadow. That's like really scary 
it's really scary. There's something about the underworld that is grounding. And it reminds me of what you were just saying, that if we acknowledge that we matter, we would just be so fucking magical. And I think we're more afraid of our success than afraid of us ourselves failing. At least I am. I think that's totally true because I also think that we live in a society for punish that punishes you for knowing that you matter, right? Like, and even if it, that's not the languaging, they'll be like, oh, they're so stuck up or like, right. There's all these other disparaging things that come up or, oh, she's a bitch or, oh, he thinks he's a fucking, like, he's so egotistical or, um, and then even more than that, if you decide to completely define yourself completely outside of gender norms, outside of societal norms, then you're a freak, a fucking weirdo, right? I think people think that you are inviting violence, even though that's not what you're doing. Um, it is danger. It is really dangerous to be your authentic self in ways. And I think that like... You know, I hope that I've reached this point and I'm on the upswing, but I think that, like, when I think about the awakening process, right, I think about that, like, I think that the comfort, the, the discomfort of comfort becomes so overwhelming, the, the comfort of conformity starts to become a prison where we reach a bottom where we have no choice but to be our authentic selves. And, like, the danger we put ourselves in by being authentic doesn't compare to the suffocation and death that we experience by being inauthentic. Totally. Completely. And I don't think it's as simple as going, I'm going to be authentic. I think it's a fucking journey, (laughs) right? Like I like, I am like, I am more authentically myself today than I was yesterday and the day before that. And I, I hope that by the time I'm like 65 in earth years, I am wearing I have like facial hair and wearing red lipstick and a suit and <laughs> walking a crocodile and just don't give a fuck oh my you god crocodiles I mean? are real scary <laughs> but I'm just like I'm not your gender to define I'm not I don't you don't get to say nothing you get nothing of me yeah I tell you all of who I am and that we're all walking I hope you're walking a fucking anteater and we're walking down the street and like <laughs> Like the, I hope to me, like that is the journey that I hope to I hope to continue to be on, and I think that like the courage to be your authentic self doesn't come overnight. I think it's one choice at a time. Yeah, um, I think the Matrix did such a good job of keeping us in line by teaching us to punish each other. Like even there are certain artists who have proven themselves to be artistic geniuses in our culture. And if they say I am a God, especially a few years ago, people were publicly crucifying them because they were saying I'm a God. Yeah. I am a genius. Yeah. They didn't say you're not a genius. They didn't say you're not a God. They stepped into their power and said, I am a God. I love the energy of fuck humble. I hate fake humility. I hate it so much. I want someone so bold and so deep in their power and so unafraid to use their voice. That's what I'm most drawn to in this world. 
I agree. I I do. I think there is. Um, I do. Sometimes I do wonder w- when people are like, "I'm a god." If they mean I'm a god because we're all gods, or I'm a god and you're all people, right? I think there's sometimes there's an energetic thing around that that people react to, where it's like, especially in the entertainment business, there's like a way of treating people that lacks compassion and self awareness. Where if like somebody's walking around like I'm a god, the the end of their sentence, not the sentence that we're necessarily filling in, is I am a god and you are not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think that it is like what I to me when somebody says that I'm always like you are, but what is the end of your sentence just so I can make sure we're on the same page here? Yeah. When I'm doing readings with people though, what I find is that they want to sit and explain to me that they kind of think they are a god, but they want to really make sure I know that they think everyone's a god. Yeah. And I have to, like, do so much, like, pre-work just to, like, break down their programming of, like, I don't fucking care what other people's magic is or isn't. Like, we don't need to talk about whether people are gods or not. I want to talk about your powers. I want to talk about you being a god. I think people are way more likely to water down their power than to be egotistical in their power. I think we're very afraid of being egotistical, but I don't actually see that that much when I'm working one-on-one with people. Yeah. And I don't even know, as you're saying this, I'm like, I don't even know if I mean egotistical. I think I almost mean like, I... I have just, I guess I've seen, and I I understand my paradigm is like very different than yours, right? Um, Like sometimes when people think they are a god in realms that I've traveled in, there is a lack of compassion for other people because they think they don't need to think about them. And when like, to me, it's like the thing that makes you the most godly is compassion. Totally. Um, It's compassion, it's empathy, it's feeling. To me, to be a god is that you do feel what other people are going through. Like you won't, you almost just can't help it. Um, yeah, and I think it's all. It is also a like I, I am a, I am a genius. I am an artist. I am a god. I am a compassionate being. I am empathetic. I am so. I think also like our definition of. I think the, maybe it's the word god that I'm bumping up against because our definition of word god in the patriarchy is of toxic power. Yeah. Yeah. It's to me, a God is to be an autonomous being creating your own reality. Right. So really that you're in control of the creation and your realm is what you're creating. So in Hollywood, um, there's been a lot of messaging around when the old world dies, the energy of the celebrity will die. Uh What do you think about that? Or do you think, think there will still be celebrities? I I think it would be great if we got excited to see each other just across the board like we do celebrities. Because yeah. celebrities are genuinely people. And yeah. it's actually, it's interesting because like the culture of celebrity is actually like, I think from the outside people are like, oh my God, they're beloved by everybody. And, like, I think there's this illusion that their lives are easier. And I think monetarily and physically, of course, their lives are easier. But the celebrity culture is just as toxic for those people as it is 
for us to buy into it. Yeah. What does their energy or their life look like, would you say? Um, It's very different for every single individual, right? So I don't want to like generalize. Um, but to answer the question simply, uh, at its most toxic, I think that the culture of celebrity creates a world that is bent to the individual's ego in a way that is not actually conducive to their growth as a human and often will make them lack compassion. Yeah. Do you see magic in your work or do you see yourself as a healer in it at all? So you and I have talked about the word healer before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I... This is probably this is my thing. I bump on the word healer because I, when I hear the word healer, I think of vertical power dynamic, um, and I think oftentimes people come to a healer for the heal- healer to heal them. But I think a healer, in its truest form, is aiding the person heal themselves, because I think that we should all have agency over that. I don't think anybody can give it to us. I think we have to. We can be guided, but it's not. It's not something outside of us, right? You're a fucking healer, Sam. And I think you're a healer in a way that is traditional. And what I mean when I say that you're a healer in a traditional way, and I could be wrong, but when I energetically tap into it, and you can let me know if I'm wrong, but when I energetically tap into it, I think, and not for every person you work with or every celebrity you work with, but I see or I don't even know if you call them celebrities, but I see like artists or people in the entertainment industry like frantically coming to you for you to heal them. They might not be saying heal me, but I think some of them do come with this like frantic energy to like heal me, save me, make me, make me something, make me a star, make me money, make me this thing. And I think you step in the role as a healer by showing them that this external thing, even if it happens for them, even if they get this role or this deal or whatever, this external thing isn't going to be what completes them. And you might not outwardly tell them that. Oh, no, I tell them. I send them lots of books about it too. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. But I feel like you hold this energetic space where they kind of get healed a little bit in the process and maybe not everyone walks away completely healed or maybe anyone but to me you a hundred percent feel like a healer I don't think the people that I work with are coincidental I think that my life purpose for myself is to be on my own healing journey and I think because of that I inevitably can help other not help but like give other people the tools that I have found for myself to heal themselves. Right. So I think in that capacity, I am a healer, like, like a, like I would be a guide for New York city if I lived in New York and the work that I do, I think like I, it's a little bit of like spoonful of sugar in the entertainment work that I do. And then in the other work that I do, that's more of people coming to me and like wanting to, wanting like very I think sometimes it's like sometimes I'll talk to people about like this external validation won't help you heal the mother wound and they're like I just want a fucking job what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) so like 
I've been able to, as of, you know, in the last like six months or a year, like I've carved out a, a path for myself where I can also work with people that are in entertainment, but it's very clear that like, I'm here to work in a healing capacity. I'm not, it's not about getting your script done or making you famous or anything like that. It's about healing the wounds so you can create without blockages. And that, that is, I feel cleaner in that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's dope. So I think I think we're all seeing Hollywood way differently than we did before. And even just like news channels. Um, when I'm with my brother, we always do a news and snooze activity where we watch the news before we snooze. And we like hysterically laugh because they all seem so fake. Like, even their faces don't look real, and their words aren't matching their mouths, and it's – our reality is complete and utter theater. How do you feel like Hollywood has changed during the pandemic? How do I feel like Hollywood has changed during the pandemic? I I don't know if it's the pandemic so much. I think the – introduction of streamers into Hollywood, right? Which is streamer is just technology. It's algorithms. You mean like Netflix? Netflix and streaming. Yeah, like Netflix and all these places have their own channel, right? HBO has HBO Max, Hulu, Amazon, right? It's, those things are driven by algorithms, basically. And there's still creative license for the people that work there and buy shows. Like there is creativity involved, but ultimately they, it's technology. It's AI. AI is not interested in human expression and creativity. Yeah. What do you feel like the algorithm is interested in? Money. It's interested in serving the masses, something palatable to everyone, which is completely fucking boring to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if that's necessary. I think that, like, the live business and the comedy business, which I work specifically in, has changed a lot during the pandemic because live shows were taken away. Um, But I think the biggest change in the entertainment business has been streamers and things like that. Yeah. you Streamers and maybe social media, too, right? Because to be yeah. a celebrity before, you had to have – an agent and a manager and land the right role. There was a lot of luck, it seemed like, to be involved. Um, Luck of finding the right role or the right agent, whatever. And now there's people who are making themselves famous on social media or, you know, figuring out the algorithm for their own YouTube show or whatever. So in a way, I think that's like fucking beautiful because it's putting it in the hands of the people. But in a way, it does feel like AI is taking over a bit. Yeah, I think I do. I mean, listen, I don't, I think there are, I think that like human creativity will always find a way. Totally. Period. Um, And there's such a renaissance of it right now. Like that is part of what's bringing in the new world. And I'm so excited about the creativity happening right now. It feels so fresh and so new in so many ways to me. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also, but I think also like the, I don't know, I I struggle. The thing that I struggle with is like, with social media. And I don't think that 
this is the only I have to be careful to not like villainize something as bad or say good right like it's so easy to skip into the binary of like it's bad or it's good and it's like it's so many different things um and I think there's one part of social media where it is giving people like direct access to an audience for them and they're creating and it's amazing and wonderful and then I think there's also the the toxic attention culture where it's like people like people start getting attention for something that's not just creativity right that's maybe harmful to themselves or harmful to others but the attention is what keeps them going and that is troubling and I also think that like while I don't love gatekeepers I do love having to spend time honing your craft and I think that there's part of social media and that part where it's like you, people don't actually have to hone their credit. You can just get attention for mediocreness, which, but also like, who am I to say what's mediocre? Right? As I say this, it's like, but why do, why do I get to say what's fucking mediocre? But I do, I think there is something beautiful about that, like the, the cocoon period where you have to figure out what you actually want to say. One thing I'm so excited about right now is NFTs. And when I first heard about it, I was like, yeah, whatever, who cares? But now that I've uh, dipped my toes into the art world, in the blockchain, and even so many comedians are making NFTs now and musicians are switching over yeah. to NFTs, um, I'm seeing that people who were really struggling in the matrix. Like I was talking to this one artist and he's a dad and he was uh, worked in a factory for 40 plus hours a week to try to, you know, feed his kids. But his whole life he's been working on his craft. His whole life he's been working cool. on this visual art. And blood, sweat, and tears and waking up in the middle of the night to draw. But also he was talking about he would wake up in the middle of the night and just start hysterically crying because he was like, I'm never going to make any of this. Yeah. Why am I losing sleep to like paint <laughs> when I have kids to feed? Yeah. And and now that he took some of his paint into the digital form, he's a millionaire right now. That's and awesome. And he started six months ago. And I don't think the goal should be money. And I don't necessarily, but maybe it should. I don't know. But I also don't think that we're all going to be millionaires from NFTs. But I think what it's doing is there are people who did work on their craft for so long, but didn't have an avenue, you know? And I don't amazing. think. And this guy isn't what you would consider uh, like Instagram. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't have that Instagram flair where he's going to be successful from posting on Instagram, but he has like beautiful technique and he learned Amazing. to be a graphic designer. And I think we're going to be hearing more about the blockchain and NFTs. And I think a lot of propaganda from the matrix is going to come in and tell us it's bad, or there's going to be companies like Facebook who are rebranding to the metaverse that artists have already created because yeah. they're trying to co-op it. But I think if you can look past that 
you'll see the sparkling beauty and the autonomy for the artists and the support for the artists. I don't know. I think that's on that rant. No, I think it's amazing because I think you're right. Like, right? Like, it's like things are. I think that again, back to the binary, where like there are things like when I first heard about NFTs, and like. I don't know, like a fucking basketball card selling for $20 million. I was like, do rich people, so what, they can't, don't have cocaine anymore? Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like, can you give that $20 million to some unhoused people? Like, what are you doing to own something? Like, what? But then yeah. I, I had never thought about it from that perspective, right? So it is, it is, it's both of those things, which is great. Yeah. It's, it's been really fun. I've been doing these Twitter spaces where, t- where I'm talking to strangers like uh, we do like performance spaces so people will like kind of theatrically perform or do a monologue uh, like I'll share like poetry and I met a girl from Zambia who did her poem and I did my poem and cool. she was sitting on top of a hut in Zambia using sticks to have better cell phone cool. service and then there's all these people in the room with us who are minting their poetry on the blockchain. So I'm kind of obsessed with it right now. So in every episode, I'm like, there's an art renaissance happening. I think that's great. Yeah. So back to you as a healer. Okay. He's getting too comfortable. (laughs) Um. You were text. We were texting yesterday, and you brought up the herb linden. And yeah, I think we were talking about linden and boundaries, or cutting off energies. She, so I did a meditation with her. Linden has been like a great. I know I talked about grief a little bit earlier. Linden has been like this incredible teacher for me around grief. And Can the- we? Will you describe like what linden is for people who've never heard of it? Yes. Linden is an amazing tree. It tends to grow in places that have colder climates. So like it grows in Cape Cod in the States, but it also grows in like Poland and Russia and places like that. And it's a tree and it blossoms during the summer. These like incredible yellow fragrant flowers and you you can smell it. You can like literally you'll be walking down the street and the air will smell sweet and you won't, you'll be like, what the fuck? You'll be like, there's no flowers around me. And it's these amazing trees with these like, yeah, they don't even look like flowers, but they're little yellow blossoms that are just, it's just like mind bogglingly beautiful. Um, And you make, you can make medicine and infusions out of the uh, flowers and leaves. Yeah. So you were meditating on it and what showed up for you in that? So she, yeah, she's been an incredible teacher for me around grief period. Um, and like when I really started working with her around grief, she really showed me that like grief is just, it's like, if you're looking at a quarter, like heads is grief, tails is joy. Um, and how close they are to each other. And so in this last meditation I did with her, I asked her, what can I let go of? And she said, oh, everything. And I was like, what do you, like in my head, I'm like, what do you mean everything? And she's like, let go of everything. Like everything is transitory. And the message she left me with was experience everything, hold on to nothing. Because I Mm. think it's, it's that the gripping that causes pain. Yeah. 
it's not the experience often and I would say all of this acknowledging real trauma like that it's not easy to like right it's like there I want to acknowledge real experiences that people go I don't want to diminish that um but what she was showing to me was that even the beautiful moments are fleeting and it's the trying to hold on to them that creates the pain um and that the and the bad moments are fleeting and it's getting stuck in those loops that and trying to change those bad moments in a loop that creates the pain but if we could like she showed me my existence flowing through my palm like a river and it, it's the it's the trying to grip the river that was creating frustration because you can't grip a flow of water it flows and I like, want to grip it so much. Me too. <laughs> I'm so mad at that bitch from high school. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was like, experience everything, hold on to nothing. Like, And it was so surprising to me because when I thought I was asking the question of what can I let go of in my head, I'm like, what, what traumatic moments can I let go of? What are these things that I can let go of? And she was like, no, 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 no. Not just the traumatic moments, the good moments too let everything go yeah what does letting go mean to you because I'm not sure that I've ever let anything go in my life I'm sure that you have um letting go means to me is to be means like genuinely being present for what is in every moment so if like you're like looking into your lover's eyes being fully immersed in their eyes and then when that moment is over allowing yourself to be present for what is next i think being present is the best way to describe it like completely present which i have not mastered yet so i don't want to say that in any sort of way where i'm like blah yeah i feel like sometimes though we tell ourselves we have to let go before we can be present and i just wonder because Letting go has caused a lot of frustration in my life. Um, But how I've survived is by constantly integrating and getting over this idea that I have to let go of the thing. Because I honestly don't know if I know how to let go. I I, I totally agree with that. And I think also for me, like, it was... I think when I think of that, like, let go of everything, hold on to nothing, that to me was like, oh, now that I have this consciousness, that's an option. I can move through my life forward with things coming up and me going, okay. Yeah. It sounds like you going, okay, instead of looping. Right. Okay. But, like, past shit, I don't – I think that if you don't have the – and I'm working all of this out in real time with you, right? So again, reserving yeah. rights to change. Um, but I do, I think that like, if you have the presence of mind in the moment to go, how am I, sh- am I in conscious choice around how I'm showing up right now? Then you can say, okay, and you can let it go. But I think the, for, for 40 years that I existed, I didn't know that I was in conscious choice, right? So things would happen that I would hold on to and whether I've like let go of them in my brain or not, there's still trauma trapped in my body that needs to be cleared. And I think that's where the integration is so important. Right. So it's like, it's actually like we're both 
right, whatever the fuck right. Something you just said helped me. You you said the conscious choice and me seeing it as like choosing to not loop. Like in a way just being like, oh, okay, that's what happened. I don't have to mentally analyze it, break it down completely or go back and fix it. I can just say, okay, and consciously choose to think about the next thing. And also like, okay, that was really upsetting for me. What's here right now? Instead of being like, oh, that was really upsetting. I need to do something about it or I'm going to repress it or I'm going to lash out of being like, oh, how do I want to allow myself to have these feelings so I can move through, right? That's where that flow comes in. It's like, I am very upset right now, so I'm going to cry and I'm going to journal and I'm going to be really fucking angry for as long as that needs to be. Not at anybody else, but experience the feeling and let that flow through so I can move on to the next, which I think, again, working this out in real time is like going back to that conscious choice. When we are younger, we don't have conscious choice, right? When I was younger, being angry was not okay. If I got angry, if I got upset, if I cried, I got yelled at. So as like a coping mechanism, I made the choice to stop the flow, which trapped the energy in my body, which now as we become older, we have these moments in our life that trigger us, I think, to find those wounds to help clean them. But we don't even know often that there's fucking wounds there because we've just been like, okay. <laughs> like we've made all these yeah. survival choices rather than choices of flow. Am I making sense? Yeah. Survival choices rather than consciously choosing. Yeah. And I think going back to what does a God mean? A God is an autonomous being who creates their reality. And how do they create their reality? By consciously choosing. I Yes. Nailed it. You nailed it. I would clap, but I know the sound probably is weird in the fucking <laughs> headphones. <laughs> I love that. And I absolutely love Linden. I was actually just drinking this like cold infusion with lavender and Linden. And I think Ooh. lavender and Linden are they're like really good friends. I think Linden's like stronger than lavender. I don't know if stronger is the right word because lavender is also a very like to me a psychedelic fierce yeah. protector yeah. even though she's very soft. Oh, I always talk about lavender with you, don't you I? You do. You always <laughs> talk about lavender. The first time we talked to each other you were like lavender, 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 lavender. <laughs> That's so weird because I don't feel like I'm like a lavender pusher out of lavender. But maybe I'm a lavender person and she's like, tell this bitch to drink some fucking lavender. (laughs) Yeah, I love the smell of her. And I do think she's like a psychic protector. And Lyndon though, Lyndon is for me good for grief as well. But also she's calming in a way that allows me to catch my breath. She's a nervine. Mm-hmm. And, and she all tell us oh, yeah. what a nervine is. It just calms your nervous system, so you get out of fight or flight. Um, yeah. and she to me, every time I meditate with her, a grandmother shows up. She's the grand, but like not like a physical grandmother, like the like the like original Gaia, like wh- whoever birthed Gaia. 
grandmother as this like safe call she's like chicken soup right it's like whatever the comfort nourishment she's so nourishing yeah Yeah. um that to me is how she oh I always I see lace every time I meditate with her I don't know why I associate that with grandmother um but she's like grandmother herb do you find any physical health benefits with Lyndon she is mucilaginous which means she helps moisten your body. So I drink her when I'm really dry. I live in LA, so it's really, really dry out here. So drinking her helps retain moisture in my body um, and like soothe the dry throat and the mucous membranes, like really soothe. Um, She's great for your heart, which again, speaks to that grief. And again, the nervous system. She's also really good for depression. And this is a fun, fact, I think we talked about this before. Um, there's this thing with herbs that's so cool. Basically what the doctrine of signature is, is the way that herbs grow, tell you what they do. Oh, like, yes, yes. So like yellow flowers are really good for depression. Right, like St. John's Wort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. like nettles, stinging nettles that sting you when you get too close to them are really good for boundaries and they grow in, they often grow in areas of the earth that have been like had nuclear waste. They're really good at regenerating like depleted soil. So they're, they're also a very nutritive herb. They grow yeah. wild. You can't contain them. They help inspire your wildness, right? Like the doctrine of signatures to me is like the fucking coolest thing on the planet. Yes. And I love using nettle when I'm working with someone who doesn't know how to receive. Yeah. Because they're so nutrient dense on a physical level, on more of an esoteric metaphysical level, they energetically force you to allow yourself to start receiving. I think Lyndon does that too a bit. I think Lyndon does it too a bit. I I actually think the fact that Nettles is so good at building brown, I think that you, in order to receive, you need healthy boundaries. So you have a filter for what gets in. Yeah. So I think that the reason Nettles are so great at helping people receive is because they're so great at building boundaries. So there's a filter. So not everything is getting in. Completely. Um, with Lyndon, I've been using it it's part of my moisturizer. Oh, cool. And it's been in such a cool face moisturizer. Someone made it and they made it with calendula and linden flower. Cool. Yeah, I love it. And how so you keep saying you meditated on linden. What does that look like for you? I have a teacher who's incredible. This wasn't like all I sometimes I like listen to people that know a lot about herbs or like are like I meditate with plants and I'm just like I wish I could do that and it's like oh no we all learned from somewhere. Um yeah. so I have a teacher that I learned from who so there's two schools there's one called the Gaia School of Healing I want to shout out to them. Um and then another one called School of the Sacred Wild. And the School of the Sacred Wild is she's Marisha Maranowska is my teacher and she taught me how to meditate with plants. So really the thing is like setting the table, right? It's like burning sacred herbs, getting yourself grounded, getting yourself into a good 
space for meditation. Like if I was like running errands and then I came in and sat with a cup of tea, I wouldn't get anything. But it's like setting that space, calming your nervous system. And then from there, it's being in communion with the tea. It's asking, it's like slowing yourself down, being patient and asking, drinking the tea or the herbs and asking them to show you what they do, asking them for a hands-on healing, letting them know that you are grateful to them and, and showing up with reverence and respect. But yeah, showing up with reverence and being open to the way they communicate with you. Like for me, it shows up in pictures a lot, which, and I've learned how to start to uh, translate the pictures like being like what does that mean and then asking what I can let go of and it was like every I heard everything and then from there kind of digesting it and fully comprehending what she means or like lavender whenever I meditate with her I always see the entire chakra system and a white auric field yeah that white auric field really resonates with lavender um so that it's like figuring out what that means like converting that because I think the herbs have to communicate with us in a language that we both speak <laughs> but one of them is a fucking herb and I'm a person um <laughs> so pictures happen to be a language we can both get, or they they meet me at I'm sure they could probably communicate however they want to but they meet me at pictures because they know that that's all I can all I can muster up at the time so I've been because I'm pregnant I've been working so much with nettles which I know you talk about nettles often I've been working with, I've been doing an infusion of nettles, linden, and peppermint that I really love, especially as it's been so hot in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and really, that's really good for nausea, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I know I've, I think I told you this before, but I know I've mentioned on here, like I do sessions with other people outside of entertainment, just like other sessions. And in those, I'll recommend herbs. Like, I, you know, I, I don't ever, I don't, it, I don't think of it as like prescriptive. Sometimes I'll just be like, this herb is just, it really is screaming for you to know it. So you should maybe go buy a box of it and see how it lands for you. Um, what herb do you give your partner? Or what herbs show up for him? Oat straw. Oat straw so good. Oat I like so oat red. straw for pregnancy too, though, because it's so nutrient dense as well. It's so nutrient dense, and it's one of my favorite words. It's a galactagog, which <sighs> means it makes helps your body make milk. It's a fucking galactagog yeah. is the coolest fucking word. Um, but yeah, my husband, I've tried to be like, there's a bunch of different nourishing. There's like red clover, which is a nourishing herb that I was taking when I was like okay maybe I'll get pregnant because it's really good for women and reproduction yeah Um, great fertility herb great fertility herb three weeks baby and I'm 40 (laughs) Um, so yeah red clover uh nettles red raspberry is a nourishing herb linden can be considered a nourishing herb oat straw and burdock Oh, and there's also dandelion. and Oh, chickweed. Yeah, chickweed is amazing. Cleavers are also amazing. I love cleavers. I had, I went, we were at Jessa's place. I was like, can I have some of your cleavers? I was just started making cleaver juice from their front yard. 
<laughs> yes, that's so awesome. That's so cool. Sam, I am so freaking glad we got to talk. I absolutely adore your energy and oh. felt very comfortable with you right away. And yeah. feel like I could literally talk to you all night. I when I first met you, I sat on the floor and just talked for hours. And I just appreciate that about your energy. Where can people find you and how would someone book a session with you? Um, you can find me on Instagram under Sam Safer and you can just DM me. Beautiful. Um, and I'll also put a link to your Instagram in the episode bio. Thank you for existing. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I love you so much. Who are the witches? Where do they come from? Maybe your great great grandmother was one. Witches are wise, wise women, they say. And each and every one of us are witches today. Thank you.